0: As we endeavor to explore your scripture, your word, may you breathe fresh life on them. And may we leave this place different for having been encountered by you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I used to, or you have probably heard the chapter that Ruby just read. You've probably heard it read at weddings, You've probably heard it preached from pulpits for Valentine's Day because, after all, it says some really good things about love. However, that chapter has little to do with that kind of love and more to do with a different kind of love. So, we're continuing our sermon series entitled I Am the Church where we are reminded that the church isn't simply the building we gather in. It is the people who fill it and how those people, us, live outside of these four walls. And so for us to understand this next part of the teaching, I want to invite you to go to the book of Exodus because we always try to go to the Old Testament for us to have a good understanding of what the New Testament writers are talking about Because after all, the New Testament writers only had the Old Testament. So it's important for us to always go there. And this part about love we'll get to and you'll see how. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. In what is called the Ten Commandments that we hear all the time, there's debates about Ten Commandments, whether they belong in the courthouse or not, whether they belong here or there, there are votes. The Ten Commandments are simply what Bible writers would call ten words. And so one of the ten is this, God tells the Israelites, you shall make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself, a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Very simple. Now for us, it may be kind of weird because I don't carve anything. I've never carved anything except my initials probably on a tree somewhere when we go camping with not these Pathfinders, but when we were kids, and we used to carve our names and initials into places. Sometimes we carve it into wet cement, which I hear you're not supposed to do, but we've done it. But this is a weird command because all of a sudden, God is telling the Israelites, you are to make no craven image, no graven image, do not carve something, or do not create an image. Now, for some of you, you're probably thinking, this is a boring sermon, This sermon has nothing to do with anything that I am about, but it goes on. What God is simply saying is this whatever you do, when you think of a God, never carve it out of anything. Because 12 chapters later, we see another story. Exodus 32, but for this one, I'm going to ask you to pull out your Bibles because I didn't want to put it on the screen. Exodus 32. Keep that first thing in mind, and then we're going to go somewhere. And by the way, Dave, I wanted to answer your question. You asked, you know, did God make all these animals? But God did not make the cat. Oh, come on, you guys. Where is It's a joke. God made cats. I was trying to be funny. I'm allergic to cats. If I spend enough time around a cat, my airwaves will close. So that's the joke. Verse 1 When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, which was the second in command, and he said to him, they said to him, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this man Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now Moses was on the top of the mountain speaking to God, and the people at the bottom of the hill began to grumble. Now, they were slaves in Egypt. They were good for making only bricks in Egypt. And these same group of people that probably hated being slaves now are getting mad at the man who liberated them. Okay, so they're getting upset. And so they said, this guy, we don't know what has happened to him. And so Aaron said to them, verse 2, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. This has nothing to do with jewelry, by the way. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving or a carving tool and made a golden calf. And then he said, these are your gods of Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore leave me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make my nation great. <laughs> that was a long story. 12 chapters later in the story, some time later, When God says, I am the God, I am the living God, do not make any graven images out of anything, 12 chapters later, I'm not sure how many days it was, but 12 chapters later in the story, we see that they did the very thing that God told them that they shouldn't do. The reason is not because God is a selfish God who's like, hey, that's not me, but it's because objects, things have no power. You see, during this time, the Israelites spent somewhere between 400 and 430 years in Egypt as slaves. And during that time, they saw idols and images of idols and of their kings, and they had gods and they had statues all over the city. That was normal for them. But the moment they were given freedom, they wanted to go back to captivity because it was something that they knew. It was something they were comfortable with, even though it wasn't good. Sometimes in our lives, God gives us freedom, but freedom is too much for us. And so we revert to the things that enslave us. When we do that, When we allow ourselves to be enslaved to the sins and the temptations of our lives, what happens is that the image of God in each one of us is distorted and we no longer are showing the image of God as God intended for it to be. Twelve chapters later, the Israelites did the things that God had asked them not to do because they wanted to be able to see their God. They wanted to be like all of the other nations. They had craven images. They had idols. And they wanted that. They wanted the same thing. And the people said, this is the gods who brought us out of the land of Egypt. It's like they forgot who God was. They traded in the one true living God for a lesser non-god. You see, up until this point in history... People related to other gods by the images and the idols that they had. They related to their gods by the rituals that they partook in so that they could somehow relate to their god. The idea that God was a living god was brand new. Now, you and I, we take this for granted We say things like Jesus is our best friend, or Jesus is our forever friend, or Jesus wants to have a relationship with us, but for the people thousands of years ago, that wasn't the case. That's not how they talked about it. So the fact that this man Moses represents a living God was a foreign concept to them. So they wanted what everybody else had. And I have a quote. Here's a quote. The danger with using objects to relate to God is that it reduces God to a manageable object, and God is not a manageable object. Amen? So you guys are probably thinking, we don't do that. Look around our church. There's no images here. Look around our house. We don't have any idols there. We don't pray to any saints. We don't, we don't have any of these other things, and, the, and, and that's probably right. So here is where we have to take it one step further. As Christians, and I can only speak for the Adventist faith, there are times where we may not have physical idols, but we have other kinds of idols. Understand, I'm not talking about television and music and all that stuff. I don't think that this teaching even addresses that. I think sometimes... Or an idol is anything that you put your faith into to give you some sort of security. I think sometimes we make an idol out of our church. I think sometimes we say, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist and I believe this, this, and this. And so somehow it's as though we're putting our faith in the church. And as long as we're a part of this church that, that people call the remnant church, as long as we're a part of this church, then we're in, then we're safe. Sometimes we make an idol out of the Ten Commandments where we look for Bible verses that say the word law in it because we want to show people how we as Adventists have all the truth and the Bible is filled with the word law and how you must keep the laws of God. And sometimes we use that as a sword to hurt others rather than as a way to educate and guide our lives. You see, it's very easy for us to make idols out of good things. And the thing is this, the Ten Commandments are great, the the law of God is great, the church is great, this is all good stuff, but we have to never take the focus off of the Jesus of the Bible. We can make an idol out of a Bible, and some of you do. And I know, I mean, I know this is controversial, okay? But you know, like, I'm not going to do anything bad, so relax. But, you know, most of you, if I asked you, you, you would say you never, you don't place anything on top of your Bible, Because that's wrong, right? Because this book is holy, right? Its content is holy. It's the word of God. And yet we've treated this as such a holy book that we at times make it into an idol because there's no other book that can go on top of it. Can you put a Bible on top of another Bible? I mean, some of us kill cows to cover these sacred books, I have dedicated my life to teaching what's in this book. Understand that, that this is the most important book in all of the world because I truly believe it to be God's message and God's word. Some of you are cringing because you disagree with me, but the truth is this, for me, it's not about whether you can put something on top of this or not. Okay, I have Bibles that have duct tape on them, okay? There's nothing sacred about duct, well, you know, but there's nothing sacred about duct tape. You know, and the people I think sometimes that make the most deal out of this are the people that aren't living what the Bible is telling them to live, which to me is, you don't really think it's that holy. Okay, so we come back to, and sometimes we make idols out of good things. And what I'm saying is, if you're going to make an idol out of anything, make an idol out of Jesus. If you're going to worship anything or anyone, worship Jesus. And you can never let anybody else distract you from that. Now... There's another quote I want to read from a guy who's really just stretched my mind. I don't always agree with him. But he uses the word hyper-present, where the reason that we can't reduce God to an object, to a thing, to about By the way, God is bigger than the Bible. Okay? The Bible is only what we could handle. I guarantee you this does not cover everything about God. Amen? No. Come on. Yeah, exactly. God is way bigger than the Bible, than religion, than everything. This is God's universe. And so this writer says that God is hyper-present. He's hyper-anonymous, which if you're anonymous, you don't show who, you're, who you are. But hyper-anonymous is that there is so much of you, right? And so he says it means that God not only overflows and overwhelms our understanding, but also overflows and overwhelms our experience. Which means that God actually has to hold back from revealing God's self to us because we couldn't handle it. An example of this is, Bob, have you ever stared into the sun for a long time? Because you can't. I had a joke for that. If you said yes, I'd be like, that explains a lot. (laughs) But the truth is, is that we can't because it overwhelms us. It's too much, and God is the same way. He overwhelms and he overflows, and we as finite human beings cannot take it. And so we continue. People are looking for images of God everywhere. We make idols out of everything. How many of you saw this in the news this week? This is a rocking chair, and it looks like a face, like a kind of beat-up face, but it looks like a face with long hair. And this person is trying to auction this off on eBay for $25,000 because it's a picture of Jesus. To which I ask, does anybody, has anybody ever seen Jesus? What if Jesus looks nothing like all the pictures we have? Because nowadays, depending on what kind of a church you are, whether you're an Anglo church or an ethnic church, that's the color Jesus is on the cover of some of those books. Jesus probably wasn't a white guy with blue eyes. But that's the picture we see of Jesus all the time. People are looking for Jesus. They're looking for Jesus. Now, this guy, he probably, I don't know anything about him, so I can't say whether he's just trying to make a buck or if he really believes this. I read a little bit of the interview. I wasn't convinced. But the point is, is that people, I mean, there was one where people saw an image of Jesus on a piece of toast. Is it wrong if you spread jelly on it and ate it? I mean... We're looking for the image of Jesus, and what we forget is that the image of Jesus and the image of God is in you. You are the church. God has chosen to use you as his image because God cannot be contained by an object, but God chooses to filter his power, his might, and his awesomeness through you. That's why we started in the, in the Old Testament. Because God didn't want us to make idols out of things because God's plan has always been from the beginning to use humans, us, to share the good news of his, of his kingdom. Never an object. And so we continue. Oh, let me see. Wow, I, have another, I have another story. You guys want another story? Bible story. You guys come to church, be prepared to read the Bible, okay? I may have a joke, Sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're not. But we're here to read the Bible. It's a Bible study. That's all we're doing. And I get the privilege to do it. So Matthew 20, what was it, 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went, I think I reached the punchline already, but let's keep going. The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus and his words. So they sent their disciples along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are a true a true you are you are true and teach the way of god truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances they were puffing him up this was sarcasm tell us then what you think is it lawful to pay taxes to caesar or not but jesus aware of their malice said why put me to the test you hypocrites Show me the coin. And remember this picture of Jesus that we all, did you guys guys grow up with this picture of Jesus that was always like, oh, you know, he was always really soft-spoken and nice. I'm sure he was most of the time. But even he knew when people were trying to kill him. And so he says, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Now understand this. They brought him a denarius, but Bible commentators will say is they actually had to send off to get it from someone because they, a good Jew in the first century, would not be carrying in their pocket a graven image. They would definitely not be carrying the image of Caesar, which was on the coin, because Caesar called himself a god. And so a good Jewish person in the first century would not have an an idol of another god in their pocket. So they sent for it. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, left him and went away. Whose picture's on this? Caesar's okay. God doesn't need money. God made everything. But it raises the more important question. What is God's? What is God's? What belongs to God? Again, we go to the beginning of the scripture, to the Hebrew Bible. Then God said, let us make man and woman, this is a plural for man is humanity, in our image after our likeness. What is God's? You. Me. We belong to God. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I don't care. But give me what belongs to me. Now, this is not a sermon about how you shouldn't give offering and tithe. That's a joyful way of showing appreciation to God. (laughs) But this is, this is like, like Jesus' karate move where they're trying to entrap him and he's like not even having that conversation with them because Jesus is so far removed from those questions. And Jesus is just like, I, dude, I, don't, don't, I think for me, it's like Jesus is like, don't even bother me with these questions because there's more important things to worry about. I mean, Jesus had a ticking, like hit, the clock was ticking on his life. Did he really want to answer a question about taxes? Probably not. And so we go on, and we're going to be closing with this last text, last couple of slides. God doesn't want to be captured by a static image, because God is a living, breathing, I can't say thing or entity, because that would capture God into our understanding, but God is greater than that which we can conceive. That's a philosophical term for you. God is greater than that which we can conceive. So even the very greatest understanding and concept of what you have about God, God exceeds that. No matter how good of an imagination you have. Okay? And God, the, the, the creator of the universe, chooses to have you as his spokesperson. And I know some of you are probably thinking, like, bad call, God. No, <laughs> good call. But it's about finding what he has gifted you to do and how he has gifted you to do it, which is why two weeks ago we handed out those spiritual gifts assessments. And they look like this. We still have a lot, okay? We handed out about 85 of them, and we want to hand out another 80. If you're a visitor, this is for you too. This is our gift to you. And basically what you do is you fill out what's inside, and um, you get some answers, and then when you give that to us, then there's another stack. So there's like two to three other things, but you don't fill these out. You hand these to someone who knows you well and who will fill this out to kind of affirm your spiritual gifts. The reason we're doing this is because we truly believe that God has called us as leaderships of this church to equip you and to show you what your gifts are so that you could be the witnesses to God's mighty works in this world. We believe that we are on a mission to be witnesses to Jesus and to tell people about Jesus both in word and in deed. We don't want to bring people to Jesus. We want to bring Jesus to people. And there's a huge difference. And part of how we do this is we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, my goal all along was to get to this text. And when I was writing this sermon... Right, because I write it out word for word, if you ever want to look at it, Um, I wasn't feeling very loving. Yeah? Gentlemen, you know what I'm talking about? You're not always super nice. So when I was trying to write this sermon, it was hard, so God took me and he said, well, maybe you got to start somewhere else, which is why we started in Exodus, but which reminded me that sometimes the image I have of myself overcrowds the image of God in me. Sometimes my selfishness will, will eke out the image of God in me. Sometimes you are more concerned with your image and how people will see you and how are you going to get your way or not? Are you going to do this or that? Sometimes you are so concerned with yourself that not only do you, do you eradicate the image of God in you or you cover it, but then you also make an idol of yourself. And so we come to this text, and I want to this is a remedy for you. And God, God was convicting me of this all week, okay? He has been working with me, um, and this is not an easy teaching. And he says this, this is what the scriptures say, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. How many of you have ever heard somebody learning to play an instrument and it sounds bad? Some of the kids in the back, the youth. So in essence, um, that's what Paul is saying. You, you could speak in the tongues of men and of angels. You can have beautiful words. You can do all sorts of things. But if, if you don't love, you're just noise. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Nothing. And if I give all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, in essence, if you lay down your life for, some, for someone or for God, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Now think about this. Paul just finished writing an entire chapter, which, by the way, chapters were included hundreds of years later. When the Bible writers wrote the Bible, there was no chapters or verse numbers, okay? It was just a long document. We added verse numbers and chapters just to help us to say when people, you know, people are talking about the Bible, go to chapter 5, verse 2. But that's not. That was never the writer's intention. Never. These were long, just long letters. So Paul had just finished writing some long paragraphs about how people were where they were arguing with each other in church because one wanted to be right. One person thought they were right. The other person thought they were right. They were arguing. They were causing dissension. They were causing all all sorts of bad stuff. The kinds of things that aren't supposed to go on in churches. So Paul just finished writing about that, and then he says, kind of like to you know, knock everyone down a peg or two. He goes, man, even if you have beautiful words, but you're not loving to your brother and sister, it doesn't matter. Even if you have so much faith that you can raise someone from the dead or move a mountain, but you're not a nice guy and you're not loving, no one cares. And then he goes on and he says, because you can have all of these gifts, but if you don't love, you're just noisy. And he says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Now, think of yourself as Paul saying this. Think about this. Are you doing these things to your brother and sister in church? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice as wrongdoing, at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, this can be applied to your relationships, of course. But understand that primarily what Paul is writing to is a church that had some issues. He was writing to a church with some people thought they were smarter than others. And he says, love never ends. Love never ends will endure forever. The Bible says that God is love. And if you love one another, then you are born of God. But if you don't, then you are a son or daughter of the devil. So he says this, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away, or let me put it this way, they will end. As for tongues, they will end. As for knowledge, that will end. But love never ends. You are called to love one another, and loving one another is what we just read. It's not arrogant. It's not prideful. It's not about getting its own way. I know I'm preaching to you guys right now, because some of you have not acted lovingly, including myself sometimes. But the truth is, love is more important than any spiritual gift because it is the one thing the Bible says will never end when it comes to this subject. And so we're going to skip down to the very last part. So now faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest of these is love. You are made in the image of the Most High God. The Bible says that God is love. Love cannot be you cannot, uh, can, what was it? you cannot give the message of love through a golden cow. An object cannot give out love. An object cannot give testimony or witness to God. Only human beings who are made in the image of God can do that. Chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians is a reminder that even though, okay, and this is important, even though you were all going to score differently on this assessment, what well, you must remember is that if you can't love your wife or your husband, if you can't love your kids, if you can't love the people that are sitting across the pew from you, you're just a noisy symbol. You're just you're you're a nuisance is what the Bible says. And what we want is to create a community of people that love well because then people will know that we believe in Jesus and that he is our only idol and our only God. Amen.